Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. So glad to be back with you here on this episode. This is our 25th episode. I'm excited to announce we've reached over 1,100 listens and downloads on our podcast. But on this episode, I want to talk to you about basically the opposite end of the spectrum of where we talked about last time. Last time I spoke of Jonah and his avoidance and the way that he did not deal with life, the way that he had a deep fear of rejection. He had a deep fear of failure. So when God told him to do something, he didn't do it. He went basically went down to the bottom of the ship and fell asleep and said, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. He had a fear of failure and a lack of love for the people. But on the other side of the spectrum, rather than being passive, we have a perfect picture of the overachiever, a perfect picture of the person that tries to rely on themselves and do everything in their own strength. And that person is Solomon. And I always like to talk about Solomon. When I start talking about Solomon, normally uh, people cut their eyes at me if I'm in church and look at me kind of strange because in the church, we've done a real good job of lifting up Solomon and talking about his wisdom and how wise he was. And, you know, he was wise and he did have wisdom, but it took him a long time in life to come to the end of his own wisdom, his own strength. You know, Solomon was a very wise man, but uh, Solomon had a weakness. And Solomon's weakness was he depended on himself. He depended on his own strength. And so being the other side of the spectrum, I thought was appropriate because you see in the kingdom of God, one of the greatest things that we need is we need to have balance in our life. We don't need to be worrying about failure. We don't need to be weak in our attempts to be able to do what God asks us to do. But at the same time, we can't have overconfidence because that's in the other ditch. So in the kingdom of God, one of the greatest attributes to have is balance in the kingdom of God. And and how do we do that? What's that look like? I want to share with you on this episode kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the middle of the road. But this is a type and shadow of the independent worldly success. And it's one of the six Bible model types that I use. And that in Dr. Reiner's book, he uses to be able to identify people with codependency issues. And like I said before, I'm careful on that term codependency, but we all have some tendencies of codependency in our life. But this would be the extreme act of codependency. And basically Solomon, you know, he was such a wise man. He was such an achiever. Uh, We can't just pigeonhole him and say, oh, Solomon was a loser. But we also can't pigeonhole him and say that he was this great godly man that lived his life in wisdom and riches and he figured things out because it wasn't either one of those two things. But you know, Solomon was so wise, he wrote a thousand and five songs. He wrote 3000 proverbs. You know, he was such a dedicated man to the things of God. But remember, what Solomon said. When he asked God for one thing, Solomon says, I want wisdom. So in having wisdom, you know, many people that have wisdom, they attain a lot of things, a lot of money. Of course, he was a king, so that helped, you know, following David, his father. But Solomon, he had a lot of wisdom. But, you know, I wish, I wonder what the turnout would have been if Solomon would have said, I need godly wisdom. I wonder if it would have been the same thing. And I don't think his life would have looked anything like it did look. But by the grace of God, God allowed him to have wisdom, which is what he asked for. And so he attained a lot of riches, a lot of stuff. And Solomon was the workaholic. Solomon was the one that got up early and worked late and worked people. Not only did he work himself hard, he worked other 
other people hard. And in the life of an independent, worldly success, you're always going to see that they most generally are hard workers. They're hard workers. They like to do a lot of stuff. And we like that kind of thing. You know, even in the church, we like people to work. You know, we like people that we encourage that for people to work. But it's one thing to work in the power of God, and it's another thing to work in your own strength. And if we ever learn to work on our own strength and we don't need the power of God, then we cannot please God. Remember, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if we don't really trust on the power of God, how can we trust him to be our rewarder? Because we're given our own rewards. We're patting our own self on the back. You know, Solomon was such an overachiever. If you remember, when he dedicated the temple, he sacrificed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Now you think about that. That's not what God told him to do. He just said that we, he was a sacrifice. But so he takes 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen. Can you imagine the labor force that took to sacrifice, to, to destroy, to kill those sheep and those oxen? Can you imagine how many men, how many priests, how many laborers it took to do that? I mean, he worked them. And that's the type of guy that he was. That you, Remember, in the worldly success, normally they don't have to suffer the consequence, but the following generation, if they adapt to that kind of lifestyle, will do it. Remember Rehoboam. His own son escaped with his own life and overworked the people. And he said, I'm going to work them harder. And basically it was the fall of the nation. I mean, he's, you know, basically they rejected his idea that you're going to work us harder than your father. Your father worked us hard enough. And you know, this independent worldly success will always push, 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 push to get people to do more and do more. And there is nothing wrong with working hard in the kingdom of God. I think we need more people working the kingdom of God, but in the kingdom of this world, that work will always come to an end, which will be an emptiness. Emptiness will always be what comes from a life that's lived in trying to do things in their own strength, trying to do things that please themselves. You'll have to do more and more and more. And this is where addictions are fed. Addictions are fed in the idea that give me more, give me more. This selfishness, this lifestyle, Solomon, he had addictions. He'd given himself to wine. You can read his Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. He says, don't look on the wine when it swirls in the cup. He knew what it was like to be drunk. He knew what it was like to be a woman's man. You know, for crying out loud, 700 wives and 300 concubines. I'd already tell you the type of overachiever he was. That's a thousand women. Now, the concubines, they didn't have the same right as the, his wives had, but they still had relations with them. I mean, it, I think someone did the map. It had been about every four years if he you know, was intimate with one of his wives every day. I mean, that's the kind of overachiever that he was. Everything Solomon did had to be big. You know, it was big for him, not just for the kingdom of God, but big for him. Remember, it took took him seven years to build the house of God, but it took him like 13 years to build his own house. So he built an extravagant place for God, exactly what God asked. And I mean, he had wood brought in and Hiram, uh, the other king, the paganistic king helped him and sent him tons of things and gold and silver. But then it took him 13 years to build his own house. So I think he thought a lot of where he was living. There's nothing wrong with nice houses, but I'm telling you, a Solomon, everything he did was in the ditch of more and more and bigger and more, whether it was sacrificing, whatever it was doing. And by the way, a lot of his wives I mentioned, the 700 wives and 300 concubines, a lot of them were Moabitists, a lot of them were Hittites and Edomites. These people were not God-fearing women. These women were 
paganistic, heathenistic women, and they fell to Solomon's fall, to where the place to where he was even sacrificing his own children, his own family. And that's a picture. You know, whenever he turned to those heathenistic women, the women that he knew God had told them, other women, you know, that established that way back in the law in Leviticus. It had said that the people of God should not entangle themselves with these heathenistic nations, but Solomon ignored it and said, you know, I just want more women. And I'm not happy with the women that is in my country. I want to go to these other countries. And it caused him a lot of trouble. But whenever he would sacrifice his own children, I want to speak about that for a minute. That's a picture of the worldly success of him really ignoring his own family, doing his own thing, and not taking care of his own household. And I know that's hard to say because there's so many people that work hard and do good things, but we cannot work so hard that we can then sacrifice our own family and then give up the very thing that God's given to us to go out and find and conquer the world and find rich and masses. I mean, God has never called us to have masses and riches. As a matter of fact, God did not want the kings to have tons of livestock and tons of gold and to attain that stuff. The king was to share the stuff. And we found that with the example of Christ. When Christ came, he shared with us. He shared his divinity. He said that, you know, you're not righteous, no, not one, but he gave us his divine nature. When the Bible says that we, when we are saved, We have the spirit of God. So he shared that with us. You know, he gave him himself. He gave of his things. You know, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's a picture of this sharing of what we do. We are not a cesspool of riches and things. We are a pipeline of the things that God gives us. And that's one of the hard lessons that Solomon had to learn. He thought he was just going to build a big house and have all these riches and all this gold. When Solomon should have learned early on, that God was blessing him not to keep, but God was blessing him to share. And people, if we can ever get that through our heads, that when God gives us something, it's to share. God will bless us exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask. But when we try to attain and to keep everything that God's blessed us with, we'll be found empty again and wanting. And that's where Solomon came to in Ecclesiastes. He says, vanity is all vanity. You know, there's nothing new under the sun and it's all vanity. He was so just exhausted with trying to attain. And he said, you know, I see the sun go down and the sun turn away again. He just talks about all that he's seen in his life and it's just all vanity. But finally, what I love is, is that it looks like and appears to be that Solomon did finally learn and he did have wisdom. He did do a lot of good things, but he was overworker. And that's this type of this independent worldly success. We have to be careful when we're in that ditch. We have to be careful. Why? Because we can never depend on the fullness that God has prepared for us. We can never depend on having the life that God wants us to have if we just depend on our own strength. I remember years ago, I was talking to someone and and I was sharing with them, you know, some things about God and, and the church and about how God speaks to us. And, and you know, that, you know, you really got to depend on God. And I'll never forget, it grieved my spirit so bad. They looked across, great, this was 
was a great person. And, you know, they meant all well. And they'd been to our church a couple times. And, you know, they look across the table at me and they said, you know what? You're right. We do need to pin. But you know, one problem I have with that church, and I wasn't really talking about the church. I was talking about also just our Christian life, how we need to depend on God and how we need to bow to God and allow God to work through us and not make only our own plans, but we're to basically submit to God. And that person looked across the table at me and they said, one of the biggest problems I have with your guys' church, not that I don't love the people, but you have people come up front and you have them go to the altar and they kneel down. And I just could never get used to that. That's the hardest thing. Other than that, I love the whole church service. And I thought, oh my goodness, you've missed the whole point. That is submission to God. That And I'm not saying you have to go to the altar every service, and I'm not saying that you know you have to be weeping and crying every service, but it sure don't hurt. I'm telling you, that's what it is. It's this submission, and Solomon had the same trouble. He worked in the kingdom of God and amassed great things, and he put on a big smile, and he was great you know, to have all these royal things that he had, but he had trouble kneeling down and depending on God, which is what it is at the altar, what we do. We kneel down and say, God, you have authority over my life. I have nothing to give anyone, but God, all things you've given me, and that I want to be able to share with others, but God, I acknowledge that I don't have the strength to live this Christian life. Now, friends, that is surrendering to God. That is raising your hands in the air and saying, God, you are to fill my mouth when someone wants me to speak. God, I need you in my daily life when I get out of bed. God, I need you whenever I lay my head down on my pillow. God, I need you. That is the principle that Solomon had a difficult time with because he was such a wise man. He had such worldly wisdom. And many times in the world, these are people that run major corporations and not just those people, but people that do that, people that we love to be around, people that we enjoy being around, but just be so very careful, friends, that you don't fall in the ditch of thinking that you're going to work so hard because I'll tell you one thing I've experienced in my life. God has allowed me the grace to fail when I think I can do it on my own. I mean, sometimes I've had all the right things to say and boy, I've studied hard and done hard and I depend on myself and it falls flatter in a pancake and no one gets nothing out of it. And then there's been times I've went out and worked. I remember one time, boy, I worked and I amassed. I had a great week and a great month. And just in just one, one 10 second interval, I lost everything that I'd made for that whole week, that whole month. I'll never forget it thinking, man, I was up early and working late, worked my tail off as hard as I could. And I mean, pushing my guys that worked for me at that time to go, go, go. And lo and behold, I lost everything that I'd made in just about 10 seconds for an item that was uh, destroyed that we we worked with. But anyway, that's what God, through the grace of God, has allowed me to see is that no matter what we attain, and by the way, I've had great things at times, you know, not saying I'd have a lot today, but I've had great things and I've been able to do, been very flexible on go on vacations and been able to buy very nice things. But you know what? I get to the end of it and there's really, I don't feel any better than when I had nothing because that's not where the joy comes from. The joy comes from the Lord. Happiness depends on happenings. See, if we're a worldly success, every time we do good, if we fall into that type and shadow of this codependency, every time we do good, we'll feel happy. And then every time we do bad, we'll feel sad. So we have to always do good to feel good. 
So the more we do, the better we feel. So we got to do more to feel better because once we feel good, that's not good enough. So we do more. And that's that principle. See, we have to be happy even when we fail. Why? Because we're humans and we fail so much. That's the biggest reason because we make so many mistakes. I mean, we mess up a lot of stuff, but see the worldly success can't be happy. Their conscience will constantly tell them, you know what? I'm not good enough because I made a mistake. I'll tell you a little story. The other day, a friend, an old friend of mine called me and said, Hey, he needed some help on this job that we did. And it was a little side job and he was going to have me work for him for a couple of days and uh, for a few hours a day. And I said, okay, I'd, you know, graciously do it. And to be honest with you, I could use the money at the time. So I went out and I worked for him a couple of days and you know, what we tried to do, it didn't go so well. I mean, I've, I'm, I've pretty much know the field very well of what I was working in. You know, I've worked in the old field for years and so not much of it's foreign to me anymore after 27 years in it. And, but what we did, you know, you never know what's going to happen and you're working with elements and things down hole and with different people. And what we did didn't work too good. Matter of fact, it was extreme failure that day. And I remember it was like, I got in my truck and I drove home and I just remembered the several years before, because I had done this job so much, this supervision work, you know, basically running a job and what all these other people were doing. I drove back in my truck and I remember still having joy in my heart. And, and it was such a great feeling because I remembered the latter years in my life, especially the first years as a Christian. I remember whenever I would have the same kind of day that basically was an epic failure, if you will, basically nothing went right, you know, and I didn't know, you know, what, if, if how, how it was going to turn out, it was going to take some more thinking and some more prayer and some more work. You know, I remember the years gone by when I first was saved and I would go home and the same type of thing, I would be so frustrated I would be so mad. And I'm not saying I've reached to this place of epitome to where if I have a bad day, I don't bring it home with me. But that day I was going home and I saw how God had grown me from where I was. And that's my goal as a Christian, that even when I fail and even when I work really hard to try to do something, maybe I'm doing something for somebody. Maybe I'm doing something for someone in my family. Maybe I'm doing something around the house, around the yard. Maybe even if I'm cooking something, you know, on the grill, whatever I'm doing, if I can really mess it up and still be okay, I know that I'm not dependent on my own strength. But if I really, really get upset because I make a mistake, because I say the wrong word, because I didn't say something when I should have, or maybe I didn't, you know, my pie didn't come out of the oven, just like I thought, if you will, as an illustration, then I'm just upset. And, you know, it just bothers me and grieves me. Sure, we need to want to do good. Praise God, we want to do good. But do we want to do good so bad that that's the only way we can feel good? I mean, because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. I mean, there's not one righteous righteous person. By grace, we are saved through faith. It is not of our our own works, lest any man should boast. We can never have the true joy of our salvation if we are like Solomon trying to get our feel good off of doing good. You know, our feel good needs to come from what's been done, not what we're doing. And see, what that does is that gives us liberty to be who God's called us to be. The Bible says where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. And that's where we need to be. We don't need to be that child that thinks he needs to work for his father's approval, that he needs to try to do good all the time. You know, I always use this illustration. When my kids were little, you know, at first I could go into the room and say, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then they'd do it. And well, then after they grew 
up a little bit and they didn't have so much fear for me. You know, they knew I wasn't <laughs> going to grab them by the back of the neck and strangle them. You know, they would go to a place to where finally they just kind of look at me. You know, but then if I'd yell louder, then they'd walk around the room frantically and falling over toys and trying to pick up stuff because, you know, they didn't know if they was going to get a whipping, you know, so then they would do it. But then the more upset I would get at those at the kids, then the more they'd mess things up and see if we're walking around all the time thinking if we mess something up, God's going to be mad at us. Or if we mess something up, we can't feel good. Then we're going to fall all over the toys. We're going to make a mess of our rooms. But if we really know that God loves us and he loves us unconditionally, even when we make a mistake, then we're going to have the liberty to walk around our room, pick stuff up, fix stuff, you know, involve other people in what we're doing. I mean, that's the picture of the true love of God. And we should never be trying to earn our way to salvation. We should know that we have salvation. Therefore, we have liberty, even when we make mistakes, to still have joy in our heart. And friends, that's a whole lot easier said than done. But Solomon was constantly not just getting things and gaining things, but Solomon was constantly trying to work, trying to make something happen for himself. But you know what I love? I love that God was graceful to Solomon because that gives us all hope. Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, here's what Solomon winds up and says. He says, here's the thing I've learned. He sums it all up in this statement. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. See, he learned. He learned that through all of his failures, all of his struggles, all of his epic failures, he learned that it was going to be a dependency upon the fear of God, not fear of man, not fear of what man can do, but to fear the Lord. That kind of fear is a healthy fear. See, we have a lot of people that are in one ditch. They think, oh, well, I don't need to worry about God. I'm running my own life. I'm going to do my own thing, and I don't care. And they got people that are on the other ditch that think, that, oh, every time I mess up, God's going to hit me at the hammer. Friends, I suggest to you there in the middle of the road, there's a fear that says, I do fear what God can do to me, but I also know that God loves me. I have a fear, respect, a love. That's why I don't go out and continue in sin that grace may abound the Bible says, God forbid, but I continue in my Christian life trying not to sin, but knowing when I do mess up, when I do make mistakes, I can still fall into the arms of God for forgiveness because he loves me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not just a servant of the most high God. I don't just have to go out and work all the time, but I'm a son of the most high God. And I can't go out and attain stuff and attain stuff and work and work and get all these mass things and to be able to get them because at the end of that, it'll just be emptiness and it'll just be sorrowful. But God gives us the ability to be who he's called us to be in the liberty and the heart of giving and not attaining, but the heart of sharing. That's the kingdom of God. So fear the Lord, keep his commandments, learn this, let's get in the center of the road. There's enough of that that's on, the, that's on one ditch that says, I, I fear everything I'm going to do is wrong, and I'm just not going to do anything. That's a Jonah. But then on the other side of the ditch is a Solomon that says, I'm going to work, I'm going to attain, I'm going to be a workaholic, and then I'm going to involve myself in relationships that just to be able to make me feel better about myself. Friends, that's not the way to live for God. The way to live for God is to live by the Spirit of God. And if we live in the Spirit of God, we'll have liberty, and we will see deliverance. Friends, I hope this word's been good to you. And until next time, God bless.